0: Let's pray. God, We thank you for these people. Um, We love you and we want to sing praises to you and worship you here. Ask God that um, we would go a little deeper than um, just worship and just about your word, that uh, we wouldn't just focus on the specific things that happen in a church service, but that we would present to you our lives as worship, present to you our lives as changed people because of your Holy Spirit and how you've um, taken over us. And Lord, we, uh, we, we ask God that you would bring things to our minds that um, need to be dealt with. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're moving on into the Lord's Prayer. Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 9. Um, we'll just finish up the Lord's Prayer tonight, and then we'll, we'll move on to finish chapter 6 next week wanted to focus specifically on this prayer um, for, for this service, because we say it so many times that, that this prayer becomes like when a, a preschooler thinks that LMNOP are all one letter. Um, right. We just say it so many times that it's just rote memory. And we often get into that routine mode that, that it loses its meaning when we hear it or when we say it. So so we wanted to kind of focus on it. Um, my daughter thought M and M and M O P was the one letter, but now, but she's two and a half now, so she's matured. L M N O P are all one or le- different letters now, so she has it. This evening, after I share um, till about midnight, um, we'll get a better understanding, um, so that we shouldn't be able to say it or hear it without without it making a greater impact on our lives. I hope. And my prayer uh, this evening is that this model prayer that Jesus has laid out for us will actually mean more to us after we study it a little bit that it won't there won't be just something that we say that's just kind of dull and black and white um, bland out of simple memorization but that it's a prayer that's actually full of color living color and 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 it's dynamic and it's out of a desire to be in tune with the Lord's heart so there's something I'd like to ask for you to do though and this week instead of just saying it from memory I want you to translate the prayer Take it slowly and and translate those words and this time put it into words or word pictures in your mind. Things that the Holy Spirit's going to give to you through through this teaching, perhaps, or through your study or or through just because you memorize this prayer um, through your individual prayer life. And you'll be blessed by what he reveals to you. Right. And we all know this prayer. And of course, we all know it in the King James Version. So let's stand. Let's say it together. So honestly speaking, how many, of, how many of you, that was just like LMNOP, just kind of saying it? Thank you for the honesty. And, and oftentimes we've just forgotten what this prayer is all about. This is the model prayer, right? The very prayer that Jesus was thinking about when he laid the very foundation of the world. This is the one moment that the disciples ask. Actually, he asked, they ask in Luke, not in Matthew, I don't believe. But they, they ask, Lord, teach us to pray. And this is a huge theme for the Sermon on the Mount. And it's the pinnacle of the Sermon on the Mount is teaching us how to pray. But it's lost its impact because we've heard it so much and recited it so much without really taking in what it means. So this evening, we're going to go back to this model prayer, the very prayer that Jesus thought in eternity about, because out of all the infinite things he could have shared about on how to pray, he picks these words, he picks just these very few verses. And think of all the stuff that's not included here. Think of why it's in this particular order. Jesus is a pretty smart guy, right? We tried to establish that several weeks ago. He's not just the holy guy. He's pretty smart. So so why is it this way? And it's a big deal that it's this way. And it begins, Our Father. The understanding was, was one of intimacy, right? And, and an incredible closeness between a child and, and their father. And the danger in our culture is that We just don't have that many good dads anymore. Right. Fatherhood is under attack. And if you were just to go out into our community and to kind of take a poll from the kids that just hang out here, whether they skateboard or ride a bike or do whatever, the majority of them don't have a dad. Or they have a biological dad, but a dad that's not present. They're either raised by grandma or they're raised by a single mom or their dad's just not around for one reason or another. So try to eliminate all that bad stuff that you know about dads. Think about all the greatest things in a dad that you never had if you had a bad dad that you wish you would have had that you fantasized about. Maybe you were blessed and you did have a great dad, kind of like my daughters do. And so um, and, and that's the beginning point, right? So. So you know who you are, and you're referring to who God is, and that puts it in the right relationship and the right perspective, right? And you're coming to your daddy who loves you more than you love him, and he wants to care for you. And that's the very start of this prayer, to establish that relationship, to let you know, I love you. Let's start there, right? Who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Translation, our Father who art in heaven. We often translate it as God, as um, our God in a galaxy far, far away. Right. And if you could hear me at such a great distance, God, God, God. God. And um, who's in heaven way out there? Hallowed be your name. Right. And the problem with this is it paints two horribly wrong pictures. It, it makes it seem that God is really far away and that he's not present right now. Right. So our father who are in heaven, understand that that meant all around us right here. That doesn't mean far away and later. That means right here, right now. This is throughout the Old Testament and New Testament. Look at Genesis. In the beginning, God created the heavens. It was plural, right? I'm going to give you three different words that we use every day. But in Hebrew, it's actually all the same word. So bugs buzz in the air, right? Birds fly in the sky and stars are in outer space, right? Air, sky, universe, cosmos, outer space. They're all the same word in Hebrew. Heaven. So this is heaven. I'm waving my arms in heaven. When you're in my presence, you're in heaven. So, but but planets, and planets and birds, they're in heaven too, right? So our Father who art in heaven, right here. He's right here. right? You are immediately in His presence and talking to your dad, your daddy. And I know who I am and you're right here. God is not far away and later. He's right here. He's right now. Okay, and so that's what Jesus whole ministry was about, right? You don't have to die to meet him. Wouldn't that be weird if the disciples had to die to meet Jesus at the time? He was there. He was present right there. You don't have to do a bunch of rituals to get in. You don't have to be born of a certain family line. All you have to do is want to enter into this new realm of reality where you're there because of what he did on the cross to make it easy for you to be there. And I'm not saying that it's cheap. And I wasn't saying that it was necessarily easy for him to do those things. It was easy in in the sense that he died. Now you have a relationship. That's a pretty easy thing to understand, right? And the price was really great that he had to pay. And the the pain and the agony and all the turmoil that he had to go to was really great. It wasn't cheap. But he knew it had to be done in that way. So our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. We never say hallowed anymore. Maybe soon we will because Halloween's right around the corner. But we don't say hallowed anymore. It means holy. It means best. It means set apart, set aside, pristine, premier, tops, used only for this purpose, sanctified, unique. That's what that means. That's hallowed be thy name. And it's his name, his reputation that is to be hallowed. And names hardly mean anything to us anymore, right? They did in the past. Some parents make a big deal of what they name their child, not just how it sounds, which is what most people do today. They just care about how it sounds. My wife and I are guilty about this, too. Right. We, we do like our daughter's names. They, they do mean something to us, but not not so much as much as it did back then. And there are those names that do have really special meanings, whether they're named after a grandparent, a, a biblical character, famous person, someone significant in their life. But we don't even really come close to that today um, because. The way that we view names just isn't as important as how they were viewed at biblical times. So the idea is that names are incredibly important and it's the name of God that's supposed to be revered, respected. And that doesn't make absolute sense to us yet, I don't think. So let me try to translate in words that that we can try to better understand. Remember when Hurricane Katrina happened? And there, there are major world religions out there that believe God causes evil. And strangely enough, there, there are some Christians who believe God causes evil, and they believe that God did that as a judgment and, and a wrath on these people because of the immorality uh, surrounding Mardi Gras or because of the sinful living associated with spring break. That's not who God is. They're painting an inaccurate picture of God, and that's taking the Lord's name in vain. It's not taking the Lord's name in vain is not cussing. It's representing God in a way other than who he really is. It's when we defame his character. So hallowed be thy name is referring to his reputation. His name, who God is, is so unique, so special, and he's at his own place. No one else is there. The most high name, the name above all names. So let me try to give you an example. Remember in kindergarten, you met people who kind of saw things differently than when you were five years old? So you're five and you wonder why every other kid in the room is wrong and is a liar, because they think their dad is the strongest person in the world. But you know that your dad's the strongest in the world. Your dad's the smartest in the world. Your dad is MacGyver. And... (laughs) That's what's in this, right? When you hear someone talk about God and it's not true and you're crushed the same way that you were in kindergarten, right? That same reaction we had as kids should be the same reaction we have now when someone defames God or or talks about who he isn't, because we know him. We know him personally. That's not my God. That's not God at all. That's not my dad. That's not in his heart. He grieves for those people. Those people died without him. Some of those. He doesn't believe that they should just die and go to hell. He loved them. Right. So he would rather do it so many ways, but he can't because we have freedom and we exercise that freedom and then we get ourselves into trouble with that freedom. We're, we're not robots. So he doesn't zap everything out of our way that we freely decide upon. And it takes a while to dis- to uh, fix some of the, the decisions, some of them poor that we've made and, and God's name, his character, who he is, is what Jesus is tapping into here. Our father, who is all around us, respected, loved, revered above all other names as your name and your reputation are glorious. That's you, God. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Thy will be done. What's being referred to here is is the great rebellion. Satan's rebellion when he wanted to, be, to become like God. And in that rebellion, Satan Satan leads one third of the angels against God. There's a battle which was really quickly over, like a gnat flying into a thermonuclear blast, right? It's like really quick. How do you how do you fight an omnipotent God? You can't do that. It's over, right? So the good guys outnumber the bad guys two to one, and in that, that's the feat of good over evil. And and we're playing that out since the garden until the Lord comes again. We're playing that out and manifesting good over evil. Did you know that that's why the, the Gospels are called the good news? We're playing out that theme. It proves to everyone that good will triumph over evil, even sin, even death. And God proved it by raising Jesus from the dead. And that's what Hollywood always does movies on. It's, it's this theme of good triumphing over evil. And it even sells in our world today. It's a good story, right? And that's the story we're involved in. That's what we're living in. That's what we're participating in. So thy will be done on earth, right here, right now, around us, in me, in my heart, in your heart, as it is in the heaven, because we know from the book of Job that nothing happens without God's permission. Satan can't do anything without God's permission. So all that stuff that is happening in your life, all that yucky stuff, whatever that stuff is, if there were a better way to grow your character, for you to become the person God wants you to be, rather than going through those tests, God would do it. He loves you enough that he would, he would do that for you. And what you're going through right now is the best shot with all the circumstances granted to us, your freedom, the, the other people's freedoms around you, uh, the, the type of environment that you're growing up in, whether you were born in a certain home or certain environments that influence you. He's working right now in the best way to perfect your character, to make you into his son's image. And if he could do it any other way, he would. He loves you. That's his heart. So whatever is going on, whatever trial is going on in your life right now, God is allowing it. And if there were a better way to do it, he would. He, was, he has really good things planned for you that, that will be a result of whatever things you're going through right now. Even though they may seem really bad. But he's cheering for you to go win through that stuff. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is, this is a huge thing here. Give us this day our daily bread. What is he talking about? See, The nation of Israel is wandering after they escape bondage from Egypt, right? And, and then they start complaining like children, right? Are we there yet? How close are we? I'm hungry. I have to go to the bathroom. Right? I want meat. I want bread. Right? How much longer? I just came back from vacation with my kids, so I totally understand what this means. <laughs> I'm referring to Exodus 16. It's a story about manna. So you got got a, three seconds to turn there. So, so God sends quail. God sends manna. The story of manna is really fascinating. And and that is the background of what Jesus is talking about here. Exodus 16, verse 13. So it came about at evening that the quails came up and covered the camp. And in the morning there was a layer of dew around the camp. When the layer of dew evaporated, behold, on the surface of the wilderness, there was a fine flake-like thing, fine as the frost on the ground. When the sons of Israel saw it, they said to one another, What is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, It's the bread which the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather of it every man as much as he should eat. You should take an omer, like a quart of it or a gallon of it, a piece according to the number of persons each of you has in his tent. And the sons of Israel did so, and some gathered much and some little. When they measured it with an omer, he he who had gathered much had no excess, and he who had gathered little had no lack. Every man gathered as much as he should eat. And Moses said to them, let no man leave any of it until morning. But they did not listen to Moses. Really big surprise. I thought they always listened to Moses. And some left part of it until morning and it bred worms and it became foul. And Moses was angry with them. And this is the key point. And they gathered it morning by morning, every man as much as he should eat. But when the sun grew hot, it would melt. It's okay, this is what's going on here. They're, they're wandering around, they're whining, they're, they're hungry, they're complaining, and God says, alright, here's quail. And in the morning there's stuff on the ground. Every morning God says He will send it to them. What is it? That's exactly what it's called, right? That's what it's called. What is it? What is it is its name? Okay, so now we have different names for it, like manicotti, or banana slits, or cinnamon rolls, or something like that. Manaroni and cheese? So manna, manna means what is it? Right. So so when people cook something and I'm not sure what to call it, I'm just like, oh, Mrs. Jones, you're, you've really outdone yourself with dinner tonight. That's the greatest man I've ever had. And, and so so God tells them to grab what is it every morning. Right. And, and the core to this teaching is trusting God to provide. And we know you promised us food and, and that we have it now. But but we don't know if you're going to provide it tomorrow for us, God. So we're going to we're going to make sure we're taking destiny into our own hands, that we're going to plan for our future and store it up for ourselves. And every single week, the temptation comes by. Right. You know why? Because every single week there's a Sabbath. And, and on Friday, they get twice as much. What is it? Because there's no new manna provided on Saturday since it's the Sabbath. So every Friday comes around and, and they get twice that amount. So then they're confronted with, hey, why don't we just do that? Again, every day, why don't we just get double every day so they get all through the week, double on Friday, none on Saturday and every week they're tempted to store up again. Right. Is God against you having a savings account? Yes, he is. Give all your stuff to me. No, he's not. Right. Don't be foolish. Don't act like those people who who justify poor financial decisions or poor financial stewardship with this excuse of faith. Right. Oh, I I can't do that. I I live whatever. Yeah, you're just being stupid. Right. So that's not the teaching. The, The teaching is that we have a heart that wants to act independently of God. And that's the rebellion. That is what locks you out of the intimate place where Jesus wants you, where Jesus died for you to be in that intimate place with him. And he desires to guide us to that place of intimacy through this model prayer. And I'll give you an example to, to paint a better picture. My daughter, Isabella, is two and a half. Every morning between 5 and 7 a.m. It just depends on I don't know what, on whether she decides to be evil or angelic. <laughs> 5, 7 a.m. So so I get woken up and she has, Daddy, I want breath kissed. You're, you're a devil, right? And and so every morning, Isabella and I get up for a breath kiss and and we go to the dining table. Sometimes it's still dark, and and my dog gets to sleep in, yet I don't. So, so um, I'm gonna use Cheerios as an example because everyone knows what Cheerios are, but really she doesn't eat Cheerios. She eats um, Mighty Bites and uh, Clifford Crunch. So. So, so she starts putting Cheerios in her pocket, right? And, 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 um, and I ask her, um, sweetie, what, what are you doing stuffing Cheerios in your pocket? It's weird. Right? And she replies, I might be hungry later, Dad. I'm like, gee, you're smart. I'm proud of you. Right? And, and then I tell her, honey, honey, don't, don't worry. Daddy, daddy's going to get you something to eat whenever you're hungry. Don't worry about that. And then she replies, you might not. <laughs> And then she continues stuffing her pockets. Right. And then I tell her, you know, mommy and I, we, we fed you since you were like in mommy's tummy. Like, you know, mom, we've we made sure mom ate organic and, you know, all this stuff and, and right to this very breakfast. Right. And she says, you might not tomorrow. And so I try to reason with her further and I'm telling her, oh, honey, you know, you'll, you'll even eat before I eat. You know, I'll, I'll take care of you. I'll provide for you. It hurts, Daddy, that you don't, you don't trust me that I'm going to provide for you. I mean, what you're putting in your very pockets, I bought anyway, right? And that's the crush. That's the crush. God is hurt when you act from a heart thinking that He's not going to provide for you. You know, Lord, give us our daily bread. He's not greedy and trickling over leftovers to you. Like, here, have a Cheerio, right? So... He's not rationing your portion, right? He's not "Mm, three for you today, you know, whatever. And he, he gave them their daily need. No one went hungry. Everyone had their full, right? So the issue is not the volume of food. It's not a matter of the volume of manna. It's the fact that you don't trust him. And Jesus lays it out plain and simple. He says, our father who art in heaven, Lord, who is right here in our presence. You're right here. Hallowed be thy name. I love your name, God. I love your reputation. I love What you stand for. I love who you are. It hurts me when others talk badly about you. Lord, give us this day our daily bread. We'll trust you for our provision every day. Every single day. Does that mean that we can't save up? No. It has to do with a rebellious heart. Forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. Forgive us our debts brings us back to another Old Testament picture. And for one of the best pictures, let's go to Leviticus 16. We're going to hit the most popular chapters and books of the Bible. So Leviticus 16. God is teaching the nation of Israel what it's like to be separate or separated from sin. He's he's painting a picture of how it is that we're forgiven. What is it to forgive? And that's what this whole story in Leviticus 16 is about in the scapegoat. You see, they would they would take this goat. The high priest would lay his hands on the goat's head on behalf of all of Israel's sins. He would lay his hand on them, on the scapegoat, and then he would watch the scapegoat run off into the horizon until it can't be seen anymore. What a beautiful picture of forgiveness. Take all this yuck stuff, put it on this animal, shoo, go away. I'm clean. I mean, that's pretty awesome, right? And that's what it is to forgive on a scapegoat. And that's what God wants you to do with all your yuck stuff, right? He wants you to place it all on Christ, the Lamb of God, letting him take it all away so that you're separated from that. But you can't get clean without Jesus Christ. And he can't cleanse you unless you willingly allow your sins to be put on him. How's that going to work? It works by the Holy Spirit bringing things into your mind. He prompts you to deal with issues and invites you to work through those things with him. He's going to bring things up to you that that convict you. And it's up to you to acknowledge those things and confess that he's right. Acknowledge that he's right and lay those sins on the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And he will take your sins away. And then then we will be separated from those things. And that's when we're forgiven. And some of you may think God can't forgive the things that I've done. It's just too bad. That the things that I've done, there's no way. You're arrogant. God said that he would. Why are you questioning him? Give it to him. If someone were to to take away my my debts, say like I was a million dollars in debt, right? And and some guy said, hey, you know, I'll I'll take those things. No, I don't believe you. Really? Right? And if someone were to say that and I was a million dollars, take it, right? Take it. I don't want it. Right? So, so forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. This is huge. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. What comes first? Do you get forgiven and then as a response, you forgive others? Or do you forgive others first and then God forgives you? Just neither, right? It says as. Meaning simultaneously or at the same moment. You do this as God does this. They go together. So that's how often that's how God often does things. He he heals. He performs miracles like this. He did this regularly. He often asked people to do something on their own that they could have never done in the past. And they they might have even tried it in the past and they failed. But when Jesus tells them to do it and they will to do it in faith and in trust, God enables them to do it. And I'm going to give you three examples of this. John, chapter five, verse eight, is the first one. And this is the story of the guy who for 38 years he's been disabled most likely his entire life. And he has no other reality than, than this reality. Right? And this takes place at the Bethesda pool. It's a healing pool. And God often worked at this pool to heal people. And for 38 years, this guy waited for people to carry him to the water to get healed. And imagine the tens of thousands, the hundreds of thousands, maybe millions of people who walked by this guy like he never existed. Because in Jerusalem during Passover, there were millions of people that walked by And much like how we walk by the homeless today, every day, just walk by them, pretend they're not there. Right. So he's ignored and has no one to take him to the pool until Jesus shows up. And Jesus goes to this man who who's been ignored for 38 years and sees what this guy wants. The guy says he wants to get into the pool. And I want you to notice the word order here. Jesus uses for this guy. He says, arise, take up your pallet and walk. Jesus, you out of your mind. What do you mean? This guy hasn't walked for 38 years. Now you want him to just get up, take his pallet, walk? What are you talking about, right? Jesus doesn't say, wait here, I'm going to heal you first. But he says, arise, take up your pallet and walk. Jesus, this guy's legs don't work. They haven't worked for like 38 years. How can you ask this guy to stand up, take his things, walk? That's messed up. You're kidding me. That's not a cool thing to do. This guy's probably given up years ago trying to give up or get up. And do you know how many times he must have tried Jesus? For some reason, being in the presence of Jesus, he decides to try one more time. And in that step of faith and trust, because he willed to do it, God empowered him to do it. And he got up just like in your life. The enemy wants to keep you down. He keeps telling you that you can't get up or, or you can never get up. You're, you've, been, you've never been able to do it, right? You're no good in relationships. You're no good with your spouse. You're no good with your children. You're no good with your money, your time, your, your talents. You can't do anything. You're worthless. But when you're in the presence of Jesus, you can. Philippians chapter 4, verse 13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Right. Example number two, Luke chapter 17, verse 11. This time it's not about bad legs, right? It's about leprosy. So so we know the story of lepers, right? They have to they have to shout unclean, unclean. They can't get near anybody. They have to give a a healthy distance. And, And so they're totally alienated, marginalized from society, from their families, from their friends. No one else except their own kind of leper colony. Alienated every day. Can't live a regular life ever. A normal person just walks by and you have to shout that you're unclean to them, right? And you got to walk around them. And, and Jesus goes to them. Luke chapter 17, verse 11. And it came about while he was on the way to Jerusalem that he was passing between Samaria and Galilee. So a really bad, bad part of town. Not supposed to be there. West Oakland like. And as he entered a certain village, ten leprous men who stood at a distance... So, so they're being respectful, right? They, they know that they have this contagious disease, so they're, they're keeping their distance, they're doing what they're supposed to do. And they raise their voices saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. So they wouldn't come near because they, they knew that they weren't supposed to, right? They don't have the confidence to approach Him yet, but, but I want you to just hone in on what Jesus does in, in verse 14. And when He saw them, He said to them, said. Notice that Jesus didn't cry out like He cried out to them. What does that mean? Jesus must have moved closer. Jesus moved closer to them, right? And go and show yourselves to the priest. And it came about that as they were going, they were cleansed. And so look at this picture. Ten lepers crying out for help. Jesus walks over to them, the unclean, and said, go to the priest. And then they're thinking, this guy's out of his mind, right? If, If we go, we'll be stoned. Not like drug stone, like stone with stones. And we're lepers. We can't do that. Like, we'll get killed for doing that. We have to show signs that we have improvement in order to go there. And we have to go through this whole process before we can go to the priest to be pronounced clean. We can't just go like that. We're unclean, Jesus. Can't you see that? Nah. No ear. Huh? Right. So notice that he didn't say, don't worry, you know, look at each other. You're clean now. He didn't do that. He, he said, go. Can you imagine what's going on in their heads? There's no way, man. What did that guy? What is he doing? We ask him for help and he just tells us to go. He didn't even do anything for us. Look, we still we're still messed up like this. Jesus performs miracles like this all the time. It's not the miracles in themselves that are so awesome. Right. The miracles are merely a teaching tool to validate who Jesus is, who he is. It's he who is awesome. Right. So that when stuff like this happens, we realize that the kingdom of heaven is among us, that Thy will be done on earth. as it is in heaven, seeing firsthand that heaven is here in the presence of Jesus right here. That miracles are being performed by seeing things right before our very eyes right now, right here. Last example, John, chapter 21, verse six. After Jesus is crucified, Peter says, I'm out of here. I'm going back to fishing. And so the other disciples join him. They pull an all-nighter. They catch nothing. They go back to the shallow water. And, they, and then they see someone on the shore. And that someone says, uh, hey, catch anything? And then they said, no, I'm not biting tonight. So keep in mind that these guys are professional fishermen. Right? They know where and when the fish bite. They know every secret spot on the on the Galilee or in the Galilee. Peter makes... His living as a fisherman, or made his living as a fisherman. Then there's this guy who probably doesn't even look like a fisherman who says, Try the right side of the boat. You're like, What? This water's shallow. We've been out here all night. This guy just says throw it on the other side of the boat. Can you imagine what's going on in Peter's head? Peter's like, I'm a pro. Right? I've been I've been here. Fishing all night long. I fish these waters enough to make a living here. And you're telling me that if I just throw it on the other side of the boat, I'm going to catch something. That guy's crazy. But just like the lepers, just like the guy at Bethesda, when Jesus shows up, you think maybe. Maybe. So they do it. And what happens? More fish than they can hold. Right. Imagine what they were thinking. This is crazy. This guy has to show up more often. Right. But incredible things happen in the presence of Jesus. Things you would have never thought of before happen. And that's why this is the model prayer. He's trying to show us who God is, who we are, how much he loves us, that the impossible is possible through him. Last thing, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And I have a complaint here. I want you to do a word study sometime and notice that God does not tempt. Satan tempts. And throughout Scripture, whenever the word, te- the word temptation is used, Satan or the world is involved. God tests. does not tempt. And in the, in the events in your life where you know the enemy is pulling for you to fail, God is pulling for you to succeed. Why? Because incredible things are possible through Jesus. See, doubt comes from the enemy. Just try, try the things the Lord instructs you to do. You can do it. You can forgive. You can love. This is the greatest prayer of all time. And we have to act in faith and trust. And as we learn to trust God, we're able to act in confidence, right? What does confidence mean? Con, with, fide, trust, with trust. That's what God is trying to nurture in us for him. We know how much he loves us. We know how much he cares for us. How much he provides for us every day. But the way it works is that we have to proactively forgive others and simultaneously he forgives us. He knows we have failed doing things in the past, right? But he encouraged us to try again. Try again. And this time, do it with him. Act in confidence with him. And you can do amazing things with him by your side. And whatever trials you're going through now, those trials are meant for you to succeed, not to fail. Trials aren't there for God to find out where we are in Christ. He knows exactly where we are. He's God. He knows everything, right? He wants you to know where you are at. Didn't you know that failure is one of the the greatest teachers of all time? Do you know how many shots Michael Jordan missed before becoming one of the greatest basketball players of all time? How many balls Tiger Woods just totally shanked off to the side before being one of the greatest golfers of all time? How many goals Wayne Gretzky missed? How many times he missed the goal with his puck to become one of the greatest hockey players of all time? Go after excellence. Stop playing it safe. As a Christian, you can risk to fail. Why? Because your boss is God, right? You can't fail, right? Whatever he wants, he can change whatever that circumstance is. And don't you know God is on your side? He's cheering for you to win. Philippians four, chapter four, verse thirteen. You can do all things through Him who strengthens you. You can forgive the unforgivable. Love the unlovable, serve the undeserving, help the helpless. You can do all those things because God is on your side. And this is an incredible prayer. You'll think about um, Cheerios in your pockets and heaven not being a galaxy far, far away that's right here and right now. You'll stop thinking that God is acting in your life as some sort of like magic trick and re- realize that you have to choose to act in confidence. And in that, he will empower you as simultaneously. Right. And that's why it ends with thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. And this wraps up the prayer. And the model prayer is a prayer that I hope you look into more than just memorize prayer. Now, this week, be faithful every time you hear from him. And, and I'd like you to pray that the Lord will show you how to translate this model prayer. Put your own words into it and trust the Holy Spirit to guide you and act simultaneously, just like the lepers, just like the cripple, the fishermen. Trust him. Say the prayer. And as he brings word pictures to your mind, translate those things. And he's, as he brings up things from the from your past, you can, you can put it on the scapegoat, right? Whether it's broken relationships, scars from the past, shameful things you've done, regretful things you've done, give it to him, right? And at times, he's going to bring up forgiveness issues. And as you forgive, you allow him to work with you. I'm going to give you a, a, a story out of my own life where, where this kind of worked out. Back in junior high, I... I I never really had a close relationship with my dad ever, but it just got worse and worse as I, as I got older. And uh, I, I hated the man, really. Um, he, I, I felt that he didn't provide for, for my family. I, I, I felt that he lied to us. Um, I, I felt that he was not a good steward of the resources, um, that promises he made to me were, were unkept. Um, I just felt that he was a bad dad as well as a bad husband. is just a bad man. Right. So time goes on. And this just continues the fester junior high, high school, college. I'm out of college several years. And then all of a sudden I get this call and it's my dad, a man that has never called me in my life, never written me a letter, never really said anything to me, calls me and he says, I need you to move in with me. I then, who are you? Right. i um, who are you? And and so he's saying, yeah, it's Dad, um, I, I can't make it financially. I need you, you to move back back um, home so you can help us out. Um, so, so I move. I haven't moved yet. I'm, I'm praying and I'm thinking. I'm like, oh, there's no way. I don't want to live with that guy. I, I don't have a relationship with that guy. I, I hate that guy. That guy ruined my life. He made me pay for everything myself. Like, well, I worked four jobs to get through college, and now I'm just trying to pay things off. And I, I don't want to be with that guy at all. And so I meet with uh, some wise counsel of mine and we're praying and, and I'm reading the Bible and it's clear to me, it says, honor your father. I'm like, God, why? Why? And so I agree to move back. So I move back and it's actually a two bedroom house. My mom has one room. My dad has one room and I walk into my dad's room and what is it? It's a bunk bed. I'm like, I'm bunking with my dad. <laughs> it's like, he's like, yeah, yeah, the bottom was so so there I am sleeping there It's a room that's like, I don't know how big it is, it's like nine by five. It's really small. It's just the bunk bed. And and uh, I'm going to work and I'm coming back and at work. I, I used to be a workaholic. I, I worked all the time. I wanted to get ahead. Right. I wanted to, to get my career going. And um, God always convicted me. Five o'clock. Go home. I can't go home. God, I need to get ahead. Like I'm a young guy. Right. I got to I got to get ahead in life. Right, and she was like, "No, go home." I, so I go home, and so it's just my dad. My dad's watching Chinese news um, on the television. I'm like, "Ah, oh, you lazy bum, couch potato guy, and all bitter heart and stuff." And go to my room, do stuff, and he says, "Go watch TV with him. Go watch TV. I don't watch TV. Albert Lee does not watch TV, <laughs> right?" And he was like, "Go watch TV." I'm like, oh, "Watch TV. Sit down, watch TV." And like. Chinese news right it's all stuff in China and, and I'm like man can't it be like at least a cool movie or something it's like talking about pigs like um, whatever and and talking about livestock and talking about all these other things and whatever and I'm like oh, this is so boring time goes on and it's just this 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 and we always go home go home at five, 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 watch TV watch TV and finally my dad looks over to me one day and he says do you want dinner? I'm like you're making me dinner? Okay, I'll have dinner. And so we're having dinner together now. Now I come back home. At five. Uh, actually, I don't come home at 5. I leave at 5 since I'm in LA, LA traffic. I'm home at around 11. So, um, so we're, we're, we're eating now and we're eating and, and, and watching TV, eating, watching TV. And then eventually it turns into commercial breaks that we start talking. Like, whoa, oh, this guy um, actually he's pretty cool. And he starts telling me about the past and why um, things happened with him and my mom and how he, how he tried different things and all this stuff. And it totally gave me a different light on my dad. And, um, and then I, my heart started softening and I started praying for the guy and, and started trying to understand what he was going through. And um, God totally changed my heart towards him. And right now he's one of the better friends in my life. We, we travel together. Um, he, he tells my daughters that he loves them. He doesn't tell me that, but he tells them that. And that's just, that's glorious. He's never told anybody that he's loved them. Not even my mom or my sister, nobody. But he tells my daughters. In fact, he says, I love, well, this is the closest that he's gotten to telling me that he loves me. I love your daughters more than you. So that's the closest that he's gotten. <laughs> so that's the closest that he's gotten. I'll accept it. I accept, right? So, um, and so now we have this great relationship, but it wasn't until, I think God was waiting For that moment to bless it's like this is damning things up, you know, if you do this simultaneous as thing right here, it's going to open and it did. It totally changed my life in terms of relationships, in terms of um, uh, finances, in terms of uh, ministry. Everything opened up, and, and I'm not saying that um, as you guys do these things that, that, oh, the floodgates of blessings are going to open up. God, I think God is more complex than that. He has more individualized plans and things like that. I'm just saying for me, in my thing, that as I did these things, that as I forgave my dad, I think that God just really opened my life up. And it, and it was just like, oh, this is Christianity. This is great. And right? I didn't have that. I didn't harbor that bitterness thing against him anymore. I didn't I didn't have this me against you mentality to prove like I'm going to be better than you. I'm going to be a better dad than you. I'm going to be a better husband than you. It's not that way at all. Now it's more like, hey, you know what? If I don't have a good relationship with my dad, I'm probably not going to have one with my kids. And so. I love my dad. I, I, I respect him. I revere him. I, I show him honor, and hopefully, my kids see that. And and hopefully, the cycle of of like respecting and honor is is reflected in our family, and then we can move forward with that, and not this like oh, friction. I'm better than you, right? So so that's how that worked for me in my life, and, I, and I'm going to close in prayer and translate it. Hopefully, modeling for you what I'd like you to do this week as the Holy Spirit works with you this week. Jesus' prayer is is the perfect prayer. Each one of these aspects covers exactly what you need. Just like manna. What is it? What is it, right? He knows exactly what you need. He knows exactly what the manna is with you, right? What's the manna with you, right? He knows. He knows. And he's going he's gonna to provide for that. He's going he's gonna to provide for that very situation. Whether spiritually, physically, he's going to provide for that, right? So let's pray. Lord, I pray that you would advance your kingdom here um, in these people. Thank you for leaving us this model prayer and how life-changing it really is. Dear Father, who is always near us, surrounding us, filling this room with your presence, may your name, may your reputation, may your character, may your integrity be above all others. May your name be treasured and loved by all people. May your rule be completed in us as it is in the heavens, like in the angelic realm where nothing happens without your permission. Lord, we see your kingdom all around us. May your rule begin in our hearts. We want your rule to be here on earth as it is in our hearts and and in the heavens. Lord, you know the things that we need today. Help us against that temptation the enemy would send to us, the temptation of stuffing our pockets with Cheerios. Lord, we trust you. We allow you to work in our lives and we choose to allow you to provide for our provision every day lord forgive us of any sins that you bring to our attention which enables you to forgive us as we forgive others who have wronged us we understand how that works together we are forgiven as we forgive and bring to our minds those things we need to scapegoat the things we need to let go of and place them on christ who separates us from our sins lord deliver us from our trials We will fail without you. We don't have the confidence in ourselves. ourselves. We we will fail on our own. And when the trials come, and, and they will because you care about our character, be with us, God. You're the one in charge. You have all the power and the glory now and forever, which is how we want it. May your kingdom come quickly, Lord. Please manifest your kingdom in our hearts. In Jesus' precious name, amen.